If you're a guest with us this morning, we are winding up a series. We're, we're glad you're here as a guest. We hope you'll come back. We're winding up a series calling, called Falling Apart, and uh, today's question is, where is God when my health is falling apart? The, the music that we refer to today as spirituals was born out of the pain and suffering of slavery years ago, making it truly a music that is unique to American history. The spiritual, often sung in mournful tones and minor keys, spoke of deep suffering, but it also, it also contained this great element of hope. The majority of spirituals have heaven as its theme, and the musicians were always singing of going to the promised land. Phrases like, we're climbing Jacob's ladder, or I'm crossing over, or keep your lamps all trimmed and burning, or I want to go home, or on that great getting up morning, fare thee well, and on and on. But one particular spiritual, the words seem to be most fitting for this theme this morning. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. The, the, some of the words go like this, sometimes I'm up, sometimes I'm down, oh yes, Lord, Sometimes I'm almost to the ground. Oh, yes, Lord. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Glory. Hallelujah. Now, in different ways, all of us can relate to the words of that song because sometimes we're up, sometimes we're down, and sometimes because of sickness and illness and pain and suffering in our life, we can say, I'm almost to the ground. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. And no matter what is going on in your life, nobody can really understand what you're experiencing except for Jesus the passing of years has a way of reminding us that trouble is universal, that good health is not something to take for granted, that life holds no guarantees, and that illness is no respecter of age. In this broken world, there is pain, sorrow, and suffering. And so the question often arises, where is God when my health is falling apart? Now, some Christians, I believe, have a mistaken idea. They believe that if you're really a true believer, then God wants you healthy all the time. But I cannot find that substantiated in the Scriptures. As much as we'd all like to believe that, I just can't find support for that in God's Word. What we do find in God's Word is, is pretty much the opposite. Oh, Timothy was a great young leader in the early church. Timothy suffered from stomach problems and frequent ailments. He, there, there may have been some frailty with Timothy physically. One of the other young Christian leaders, Epaphroditus, got so sick in serving the king that he almost died, and, and the church prayed for him. Even the great apostle Paul fell ill at Miletus. And he suffered some kind of an ailment. We think it must have been a physical ailment. We're not sure exactly. Paul called it his thorn in the flesh. And Paul prayed three times that God would remove that from him. And God said, Paul, I'm not going to do that. My grace is sufficient for you. Throughout the earthly ministry of Jesus, hundreds of God's people who lived throughout Judea brought their sick friends and family members to Jesus for healing. And he did miraculously heal many. But he didn't heal all. 
There were far more people who were sick and afflicted and disabled that never got to Jesus. But it wasn't about Jesus coming to heal all the sick people. The miracles of healing were only to validate who Jesus is. The miracles of healing only substantiated and made credible his claims to be the Son of God. Because you see, if you can heal the sick, only God can do that. That, that legitimizes your claim to be God in the flesh. You see, the real healing that Jesus came to bring was spiritual. And it took his death on the cross to procure that. And so while physical healing is something we desire, it is not the ultimate healing, it is the spiritual healing that matters most. That was his ultimate purpose. The question remains, however, where is God when I pray for healing from my illness and my prayers are not answered as I hoped? And that is a tough question. And it's one for which I don't have good answers. There's just some things, folks, that in this life, on this side of heaven, we're not going to get answers for. I think we can do our best to understand to the most of our ability, but some questions will never be answered here. Now, when I think of suffering, and when I think of illness and sickness, the first name that comes to my mind in the Bible is the name of Job. I don't think there is a better answer or example of suffering than what we find in Job. And I'm going to read out of the second chapter this morning to introduce some things. And i got to tell you, this is one of the hardest passages of Scripture, I think, in the Bible to get a handle on. This is what we read. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil, and he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Ah, skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life. But you stretch out your hand and you strike his flesh and bones and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then. He is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Just curse God and die. He replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And in all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. Job was a good man blessed by God, respected by all the people. And then everything in his life changed, and I do mean everything, changed without warning. Nothing that Job held dear to his heart or considered valuable in this life was left untouched. And if losing his wealth and losing his family, which happened in the first chapter, was more than he could bear, then losing his health on top of that that caused him to despair of life itself took him to the very brink of his spiritual walk with God. This is an incredibly difficult passage to understand. You have to understand that Job is written as a part of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. It's part of the 
poetry section, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, all, are the, all of them are the poetic books of the Old Testament. It is written in Hebrew narrative. It is in a story form. It may be a parable, but a parable always teaches us eternal truth, and I have difficulty wrapping my hands around this story. But let's explore some concepts that we can understand from what we've read. Here's the first thing. God is always sovereign. Now, folks, this, this, is, this is heavy stuff, all right? So just, just hang with me for a couple minutes. One of the things that makes this passage so difficult is, to, is our inability to comprehend and to understand that God could be so, what it seems to be, complicit or cooperative in our pain. When God says, very well. He is in your hands. Oh, that's, that, that's, that's hard to see. To begin to understand this issue, we must understand the sovereignty of God. Now, what does it mean that God is sovereign? I mean, that's a part of his nature. That's a part of who he is. We talk about the sovereignty of God, but that's a word we don't use in very common, ordinary conversation anymore. I, I better understand sovereignty if I understand it in the concept of a king or a lord or in kingship and lordship as a king is sovereign over his rule or the territory where he reigns. Psalm 103 verse 19 says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. So God is the king of everything. God's sovereign rights of ownership and lordship are based on his creative genius. That he and he alone created the world, that gives him authority over all the world. Dr. Jack Cotter, who was one of my professors at Cincinnati Christian University, writes about the fact that some equate sovereignty with causation. And, 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 they, and they think that because God is sovereign, that God causes everything. He is the originator of everything, that, that he is the source behind everything that happens, that he causes it. Therefore, we don't have any free will because God in his sovereignty causes everything. But then Dr. Cottrell goes on, he says, instead of causation, the key word for sovereignty is control. God is sovereign in the sense that he is in control of every event that takes place among his creatures, whether he actually causes it, which he sometimes does, or simply permits it to happen instead of preventing it from happening, as he could do. Either way, God is in charge. He is in full control over his creation. He is sovereign. Now, that helps a lot. God is not the cause of everything because, you see, you know, God can't do some things. He cannot sin. He cannot lie. And so God can't participate in things like that. But he is in control of everything. Also like what John MacArthur wrote, he said, God's sovereignty is all-powerful, but it's not always predictable from a human standpoint. God is free to do or not to do as he chooses in any given situation. And he is not in any way obligated to repeat the same action in connection with any subsequent similar situation. Because of his sovereign power, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Now, that's Romans 8, 28. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Not everything that happens is good, but God can take that and make 
good come out of it. It doesn't mean that God causes the bad things. It just may mean that God is in control and chooses not to intervene. Let me, let me give you another example from the Old Testament. When the Israelites had come out of the land of Egypt, out of their years of slavery, into the promised land, the first city that they captured was the city of Jericho. And it was a miraculous moment in, in God's history. The, the, you know how they took the city of Jericho? The Bible says that the, the Israelites marched around the city once for six days, and on the seventh day, they marched around the city seven times. They blew the trumpets, and the walls fell. The walls crumbled. Now, folks, the only way to explain that is God miraculously brought down the walls of the city of Jericho. Do you know how the rest of the cities of the Promised Land were conquered? By the same conventional warfare of, of everyday life. That, that They went into battle against it. Now, Here's the question. Was God in control of the children of, of Israel taking the promised land? Yes. Did he miraculously intervene into every battle? No. That we have free will, there can be no doubt. How else do we explain our sinful choices? If God cannot sin, if God is separated from sin, then, then the only way for me to be able to sin is that I have the freedom to choose sin over choosing obedience. That the nature of true love and worship demands free will, there can be no doubt. God is not gratified by worship and love that comes from those who have no choice but to love him or to worship him. So my conclusion to the passage is this. While God is very much in control of all situations, he does not cause all situations. In the case of Job, God was in control, but he did not cause Job's illness but neither did he intervene to protect Job from the illness. Today, sometimes God heals supernaturally. He intervenes and there is no earthly or medical explanation for healing. I've, I've heard doctors say, I, I, I can't explain it. It looked this way on the x-ray. This is what the x-ray showed. We got in and, did, and when we got inside, the tumor was not there. I, I don't know how to explain that. There's no earthly explanation for that. I believe God sometimes supernaturally heals, heals. Sometimes God heals providentially. He works through the doctors and the medical science to restore health even when the odds are against a person. And sometimes, sometimes God chooses not to intervene and healing in this world does not come. It does not happen here. But it happens there when we get home. When God makes all things well. No matter what, God knows what he is doing, and I trust that he is always doing in our best interest what he is doing. The Bible says that if we as earthly fathers know how to good gifts, imagine how good the heavenly father knows how to give good gifts. And so when my prayers aren't answered as I pray them, I trust that the sovereignty of God is in control and that what he is doing, how he is intervening or not intervening in my life is what's best for me. He knows and understands what I could never understand or comprehend. Okay, that's the sovereignty of God. Here's the second thing. Satan is always subtle. Satan's deception is always hidden. He is so easily forgotten and so easily ignored in the tough moments of life, which is just the way he wants it, folks. But I'm telling you, he is our enemy. He is the source of our suffering. He is our greatest nightmare. If Satan could convince Adam and Eve to eat the fruit that had been forbidden to them, if he could convince Noah to get drunk, Abraham to lie, Moses to murder, and Peter to deny Jesus Christ, he can get to you. 
When you suffer, when you suffer, remember that the words of your insurance company are not right. This is not an act of God. It is an act of the enemy. He is the one who brought brokenness into this world. If God can get to all those people, he can get, if Satan can get to all those people, he can get to you. I know he's gotten to me. I know he's gotten to you. And he does so subtly. Here's the third thing. We are always surprised. We are always surprised. We know that, that the illness is out there. We know Satan can do all kinds of things. And we're always surprised when, when sickness interrupts our life. We're surprised about a lot of things. A minister was visiting in the hospital about to pray for one of the church members who was getting ready to go into surgery when the patient said, you know, pastor, uh, you don't really need to pray for my gallbladder. The doctors have that all under control. If you want to pray for something, pray about my hospital bill. Pray for that. <laughs> there are a lot of things that come as a surprise in life. Pain and sickness always catch me off guard. I am never prepared for it. Uh, I take good health and feeling good for granted, and I suspect most of us do. Now, I shouldn't. I've spent most all of my life in the sinus pocket of the United States right here in southern Indiana. I know that I'm going to get a sinus infection in the spring. I know that I'm going to get one in the fall of the year. And every time I get one, I'm surprised. <laughs> Sickness has a way of doing that to us. But take a lesson from Job. Don't be surprised when life changes in a moment. Not all that long ago, I walked out of door two, which is over here, uh, one uh, leaving the office area, walked out of door two, and it was dry on the sidewalk there, and across on the east end of the parking lot, the rain was just pouring. It is a reminder that there is not much that separates the good days from the painful ones. There's not much that separates the sunshine and the storm. So don't be surprised when your health falls apart. Here's the fourth thing. We are always learning when our health is falling apart. Now, there were some classes in school I enjoyed more than others. And there are some classes in life that I enjoy more than others. Sickness is not one of the classes I enjoy. But I, I got to tell you, I learn a lot through sickness and pain. You do too. We just don't often stop to think about it. Let me remind you some of the things that you can learn in these tough processes. Number one, sickness helps us learn humility. Nothing reminds us of our limitations quite like sickness. Physical illness is a poignant reminder of our finite nature. We are not going to be here forever. Nobody gets out of this world alive physically. Sickness is the great equalizer, from the poorest among us to the richest among us, from the most famous in our midst to the most invisible in our midst, we are none immune to disease. So when you start thinking that you are God's gift to humanity, try a little humility and remember you're just like everybody else and without God you are nothing. And the next time you're sick, use that opportunity to acknowledge your dependence upon the living God, the only one who can help you grow through the tough times. Here's something else. Sickness provides us with another perspective. When I'm sick, I see life a little bit differently. When I'm well, I just think every day is going to be like the day before and the, and the day after. But when I'm sick, it, it, it reminds me of several things. It reminds me, first of all, I need to do a better job of taking care of the body that God gave me. 
Isn't that true? When you're sick, you think, I should, I should work at trying to be healthier. I should eat better. I should exercise more. All these. When we're sick, we're reminded how hard we should work on being healthier. Now, I, granted, you might not have the body you really want. Most of us think that we wish we could improve certain aspects of we, we, but the body that you've got is the only one you're going to get, and it's the only way you're going to get through this world. And despite the fact you may not like everything about your body, it's the only one you're going to have through your journey in this world. And we would like to improve it if we could. History records that Abraham Lincoln was not viewed as a particularly handsome man. The story is told that he was once accused by a lady of being two-faced, to which Lincoln humorously replied, he said, ma'am, if I was two-faced, do you think I'd be wearing this one? <laughs> All of us would like to improve our body. But whether we like it or not, we got to live with this one throughout the journey. And we need to do a better job of caring for it. Somebody said, you know your body is in trouble when your knees buckle and your belt won't. <laughs> and it's true. Psychologist Wayne Oates wrote, he said, you can do nothing more spiritual than to maintain your own physical health. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You serve God well if you take care of your body as a means of worshiping God. I like that. In other words, take care of your body, and as you're doing it, offer it as an act of worship before God who gave you the body you have. Sickness also reminds us of the brevity of life and, the challenge, and challenges us, as the Bible says, to number our days in order to make the most of the time we have in this world. Several years ago, Tony Snow was one of my favorite journalists. He was also a former press secretary for President Bush, and he was a strong Christian. Tony Snow died in July of 2008 after a three-year battle with cancer, but it was during his battle with cancer that he wrote this. And I want to I read this to you. It gives you some insight as to the change of perspective. He said, the art of being sick is not the same as the art of getting well. Some cancer patients recover, some don't. But the ordeal of facing your mortality and feeling your frailty sharpens your perspective about life. You appreciate little things more ferociously. You grasp the mystical power of love. You feel the gravitational pull of faith. And you realize that you have received a unique gift, a field of vision that others don't have about the power of hope and the limits of fear, a firm set of convictions about what really matters and what does not. You also feel obliged to share these insights, the most important of which is this, there are things far worse than illness, for instance, soullessness. And then he adds this, God doesn't promise us tomorrow, but he does promise us eternity. Sickness puts everything into proper perspective. When you're sick, you suddenly are reminded what really matters and what really doesn't. Sickness also develops empathy. Through periods of sickness, we can better understand and respond to others who suffer. I believe God uses our tough moments, our sicknesses, and our suffering to equip us to minister to others who are going through tough times. There are some things I don't ever want to go through again in my life, but I wouldn't trade the experience for anything because it equipped me to be empathetic and it equipped me to minister to somebody who was going through a similar situation. God uses your experiences sometimes to help others. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 read like this. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we have received from God. In other words, what happens to you, God will console you so that you can turn around and be a consolation to someone else. Despite the downside of sickness, which is pretty obvious, we, we, we grow a lot. We develop so many things, not just empathy. We develop compassion. We develop patience. We develop trust. We grow in hope, and that's just to name a few. And then sickness deepens our relationships. Being sick reminds us how important our loved ones and friends are. I don't know about you. I would much rather help somebody who is sick than be helped when I'm sick. Anybody else feel that way? You know, it's easier, I think, to give help than it is to receive help. And yet, when you are sick and you are dependent on somebody else helping to take care of you, it reminds you that there are other people who are willing to make sacrifices for you, that there are people who care about you, that there are people who love you, that friends and family matter more than anything. It is one of those great reminders that we are dependent upon each other. Nobody can make it through this life totally on their own. It also reminds us how much we need God. For the Christian, sickness can be a profound spiritual experience. Sickness usually increases our prayer life. We pray better when we're feeling bad. It usually increases our trust in God. And in the midst of our sufferings, God's presence may feel more real than in healthy moments of our lives. And when you're dealing with a real serious illness and a lot of pain, it gives you just a tiny insight into the suffering of the crucified Christ, what he endured for us. Fifteen-year-old Anson Hui has glycogen storage disease, GSD, meaning that his body cannot break down or store sugars. He has to eat every two to three hours. He also has a benign liver tumor, which will require a transplant. And this disease, GSD, oftentimes uh, requires that there be a kidney transplant, and sometimes that doesn't work, and, and the people who have this kind of disease usually don't live long into adulthood, and so if the kidney transplants don't work, Anson's response is that he'll get to go to heaven a bit early, and then he says, and I'll be very happy up there, 15 years old. And for all of his sickness, Anson is a classical piano virtuoso. He can listen to a song, something by Chopin or Mozart or his favorite Bach, and, and almost replicate it. And, and knowing that talent, he's begun to study. He's even studied piano under a professor from the Jacobs School of Music right here at IU. Anson also has a deep faith in God. And, and this is what he said, 15 years old. He says, I believe every single life is unique and special. Each has its own mission and purpose. My dream is to be a tool of God so that in the end I can hand in a beautiful report to my Lord in heaven with honor. And the most important thing is I will never regret this journey on earth. Fifteen years old, 
body racked with a disease that there's no cure for and problems on top of that that he's going to have to deal with, never regretting the journey, looking forward. Shouldn't that be our goal? And sometimes it takes illness and tough times and pain and suffering to bring us to the point of where we know what we're here for. Should it not also be our desire to be a tool of God so that in the end we can hand in a beautiful report to our Lord in heaven with honor. You have a choice. You can let your moments of sickness make you bitter, or you can use such moments to serve and honor God and draw closer to Him. Because you see, folks, the, 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 the real healing isn't this body. It's the soul that lives inside. That's the purpose for which Jesus came. And even if your body heals up and your soul doesn't, you've gained nothing. So this morning, the most important thing you can do, the thing I want you to do more than anything else in this world is to make Jesus Christ your Savior if he's not.